It's time to talk about the most personal of all of the instruments, and that is your voice. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 14 of the Musician Toolkit. My name is David Lane, and it is great to be with you once again. I'm excited to finally chat about one of the tools for the first time that I mentioned in episode one and uh, also recapped back in episode 13. But This is the first time we've really gotten into it, and that is the skill of singing. When you talk to a lot of musicians, it doesn't matter what instrument they play, they're going to tell you that there are two that you really need to be familiar with, at least on some level. And one of them, as I've mentioned before, and maybe a little bit biased towards because it's my primary instrument, and that is the piano. Having some piano skills is really essential for every musician, at least on some level. And the other one is vocal skills. And as we're going to chat today with our guest, there are a lot of things that the voice teaches us about music and musicianship and also how it connects with us in a different way compared to just about any other instrument, uh, but especially compared to the piano. Before I get too far into this episode, uh, I want to mention something that I normally say for the end, and that is if you are new to this podcast, first of all, welcome. And uh, if you've been listening to some episodes before now and you haven't yet offered a rating uh, hopefully a five-star rating and review on the podcast app that will allow you to do that, specifically Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I would invite you to do that. If you're finding this on YouTube, it would be great if you would just click that thumbs up and also subscribe so that you'll be notified when we put out new episodes, which is every Monday there will be a new episode. I'm excited today to be talking to my friend and colleague, Katie Mullenkamp. We go over uh, quite a bit of her background as we're having our conversation, so I'll save some of that for then. But uh, but again, she is a friend, uh, and she's a vocalist who, who I've not collaborated with nearly as often as I would have liked. But among her many roles professionally, uh, she is a voice teacher, and she teaches beginners. And I thought it would be great to have her input on getting started with proper singing. We need to start somewhere. So I, I, there's, there's a lot of topics that we could talk about with singing. So this episode is not for vocalists who already have had a lot of training. I mean, you're welcome to hear what we talk about, and, uh, and you can certainly offer feedback. And by the way, that's a reminder. If you have any questions, any comments related to this episode, you can, uh, and you'd like to be featured, to have that comment featured on an upcoming podcast, please feel free to send me a voice message with your device by going to speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com slash musician toolkit. So again, this episode is not really for uh, vocalists who are advanced, vo vocalists who have been at it for a while. But again, I invite you to keep listening if you would like to do that. But this is for everybody else. This is for everybody who's a musician or aspire, an aspiring musician who has thought, um, well, <laughs> this is for you if if one of two things, if you thought, I don't really need to sing, or two, I'd like to sing, but I don't think I can sing, or, you know, 
kind of a third one, maybe you think to yourself, I know I need to sing and I think I can sing, but I don't think I'm doing things correctly. Well, this is not going to teach you everything, but it's going to give you some of the concepts that you need to keep in mind. And, and one of the things that we talk about is that, uh, you know, what you need to look for when you're trying to find a voice teacher. Katie, to her credit, doesn't say you should study with me, uh, you know, which I think she very well could. She's she's a great singer and very qualified. Um, but she she talks about, you know, what if she's not the right teacher for you and what are some things that you can do? We talk about so much in this conversation. I think you're going to enjoy this episode and find it highly informative, especially if you're new to singing. So without any further delay, here's my conversation with Katie Mullenkamp. Katie, it's great to finally hook up for this. Uh, we, we've been talking about this for a while, but you had a show and then I had music rehearsals. And finally, it's it's good to have this conversation. This is genuinely our fifth attempt. Yes. <laughs> and then we followed it up with some technical difficulties. So, you know, it's all behind the scenes stuff, but all's well now. Um, let, uh, we we met, uh, it, it, you know, years is sort of kind of a funny thing. You know, I keep thinking it was like three or four years ago, but no, it was actually over eight years ago. That yeah, we I think met it was now. 2014. Or, or this would have been late 2014. That's right. That's when the auditions were. So yeah, still not quite nine. <laughs> we're not that far away yet, but um, yeah, we worked together on Oklahoma and uh, you played Lori and we've connect we we've we what have we done since then other than just chat have we done anything professionally i don't remember david i'm not sure we have since well. which is wild <laughs> i mean we've sung together for fun things since but i don't think we've had a big project right right yeah that's true over we're, we're definitely overdue for that so i was thinking about how to describe you know your story of what you do and uh and i bet it's i'm gonna just take a guess it's the classic story of you always dreamed as a little girl of being a lawyer, but your parents forced you to become a musician and follow that path. And you've tried to balance two worlds. Am I close or is <laughs> you're, you're close if you do a little flip flopping? Yeah. <laughs> but yes. Um, yes. So, um, well, just, I mean, go ahead and elaborate. Tell us a little bit of the real story. How did you get into music and how have you? you know, and, and as I mentioned, you, you are a, uh, you're an attorney. So how have you managed those two worlds and just keeping that all straight? Yeah. With a lot of patience from my husband and not a lot of sleep. Um, <laughs> so I, I always sang, um, I started taking voice lessons when I was 13 years old and immediately jumped into all the competitions and things like that. Um, sang a, a mix of classical. My teacher was predominantly a classical teacher, um, which is great for building technique and then saying a little bit of musical theater on the side as well. Um, ended up going to Elon University for vocal performance and studied vocal performance again, mostly classical music. Um, never really had a huge bend toward opera, um, yeah. but, but stayed on a classical a track. And I think a lot of people confuse those two things, but they are a little bit different or one doesn't necessarily assume the other. Um, and saying a little bit of musical theater, but it's kind of funny. I went to a music school that is largely a musical theater school, especially during the time I was there. Um, mm. They were having a lot of success of getting kids on Broadway, um, but I was on the classical side. And 
toward the end of that, the family forces were pretty forceful <laughs> in wanting a law path. And in right. fact, I was only allowed to go and study music allowed. I mean, at, right. the, at the time, it felt like truly strictly that was a requirement. Right. Um, I was only allowed to study music if I was studying something else. So the mm -hmm. pre-law track won out. I went to law school, graduated from law school, and it was actually waiting for my bar exam results that mm -hmm. I auditioned for my first ever real musical. Yeah. Um, my husband was not looking for it. So what happens when you graduate law school is you've got a gap period before, when you take the bar and when you mm -hmm. get your results back. And mm -hmm. you're not really supposed to work or practice law during that time. And my husband was not looking forward to three months of me waiting at home, stressed <laughs> out to get this letter. So he was like, yeah, go do that musical and sing some. And that kind of did it. I don't yeah. think I've stopped since. So out of out of that, actually, a couple of years of performing and, and meeting you, David, mm -hmm. I was um, I, I started up a private voice studio from home. Right. Um, and then mm -hmm. my husband ended up moving us to France and I'm teaching musical theater is kind of a budding thing in France right now. So I taught musical mm -hmm. theater in France. We moved to Virginia for a year. And I taught, um, I only taught voice while I was in Virginia and performed. And when we moved back down to North Carolina and I started practicing law technically full time, that's how I ended up starting to teach at uh, UNCSA. So UNC School of the Arts Community Music School. Um, and so I've been teaching there for almost five years. I, I mean, I think that's great. You, you know, you, you weren't a music major per se, you know, that wasn't like your focus, but you, you were able to study music and you've made it part of your life. So, well, it's actually kind of funny. Um, I, I was a music major for a lot of it and ended mm -hmm. up dropping my, I ended up dropping my degree, but did a, did a recital. So I still right. had a, a department sponsored recital, which is really, really unusual. Yeah. Um, but kind of predictive of how I was going to try and balance this whole music, but not music thing, which is right. I do music all the time. <laughs> right. Oh, I just remember the last time we, we, uh, we did perform together because I just remembered, I just did a St. Patrick's day thing at Brighton gardens. And I remember you joined <laughs> me on that. It was pre pandemic days. I don't know if it was 2019 or 18, somewhere around then, but somewhere around uh, there again, it's too too long so we we've got to we have to you know make that <laughs> something more recent that we can talk about uh but you're here on the podcast so that's something that we can do together so again thank you for coming on sure. um on episode one i listed 20 tools and in the last episode i just added a 21st and one of the tools that i think that every musician should have no matter what their instrument is is basic vocal skills and i got that from my own observation in two different universities. And uh, not that I spent much time around like, you know, anything outside my niche in grad, in grad school, but I know that in undergrad, when I was everywhere in the music department, um, maybe not so much for composition majors, but if you were a music education major, you, you had to study everything, all the instrumental methods, you had to have um, I think two years of some kind of piano because you had to pass a keyboard proficiency, but everybody mm -hmm. had to log at least one, maybe two semesters of private voice training. And, um, and if you weren't in, you know, an instrumentalist who was already booked in a wind ensemble or orchestra, you needed to sing in chorus. And I just, uh, I, I've always 
found that interesting that I've talked to other people in other schools and there's a lot of conservatories out there that say it, it doesn't matter if you play clarinet, flute, trumpet or whatever, you need to study some piano and you need to study some voice. And, uh, and I have my own ideas, but why, why do you think that the voice is so important as a tool? You know, the voice is, is interesting because it's the only instrument that has text. Mm -hmm. um, we can communicate very literally through our voice. It's also very personal. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I tease some of my instrumentalist friends that I love watching instrumentalists perform because if something goes wonky, they like scowl at their instrument. Yep. <laughs> as if it was the instrument that did it. Yep. And in some cases, that might be true. As a singer, there's really, you just can look at yourself. Yes. Yes. Um, there's nothing you can look you can at your blame. instrument. There's no hardware but... difficulties, or there, there is, especially during allergy season. There's lots yeah. of hardware difficulties, um, <laughs> but it's all in internal. Um, but I, I teach a, a singing class over the summer for for grownups, and for right. some people, it's people who are new to singing. For some, it's those coming back to it and want to see if private lessons are for them. But I end every single semester with a vocal technique for everyday life class mm -hmm. and we we fake record our voicemails ah. and we we implement everything we've learned about vocal technique and, and breathing and phonation and resonance and support and all that jazz and apply it to recording our own voicemail mm. um, because our, our voice is how we communicate and there are sort of special things we do for singing um, yeah. but the technique and learning how to sing is entirely universal to speaking and communicating right yeah I've somehow been around a lot of workshops and master classes over the last year from, you know, other teachers, mostly piano teachers. And more and more, I'm hearing it recommended that in your piano lessons, you include singing. And, and I haven't quite gone in there yet. It's, it's like, cause I guess I have a, I perceive that I have a lot of shy students right now, but it is something I'm leaning towards, but I, I do recognize the importance. And, you know, I just thought I'd just list uh, since since I kind of put the piano as one side of the basic instrument you should know and voice on the other, it's kind of good to just go through what are some, you know, what are some of the things that a voice can do that a piano can't do? And I'll just start. It's first of all, the piano is not a sus, what's called a sostenuto instrument. When you, when you play a key, it doesn't matter how loud it is. Two seconds later, it's softer. <laughs> it's like, you can't sustain it and you definitely can't crescendo it. In fact, there's, you know, a funny meme out there. Um, that's that's says the next time a, a pianist bothers you ask him if he can do this and it's a whole note with a crescendo on it <laughs> <laughs> but you know what what are some other things because i know i know you've you've got a piano behind you there so you know what are some other things that you would say that the voice has that helps us understand music that you um, can't get as a pianist you know, I'm, I'm not going to say this is unique to singers, um, but I think singers enjoy a very specific experience of communicating your heart. Yeah. Um, because everything that you feel, the when you play a piano, you, you strike the keys and yeah. that's how you play your instrument. As a singer, it begins with our breath. Yes. Mm -hmm. It becomes a physical process of our vocal folds vibrating. It travels mm -hmm. into the resonant spaces. Um, which carry with us all the tension from our day or all the relaxation from our day. It carries yeah. with us pollen from sinuses. 
Um, it carries with us how loudly we screamed at a rock concert the night before. Um, and then, and then exits through all those things too. So every experience we are having as a human being is reflected in how you experience our voice. Another interesting thing is that as singers, we never hear our own voice. Mm. Um, the, the way the inner ear experiences your own instrument as a singer, as you are singing it is different than how David, you would hear me live in the same right. room, which is of course, always different than how a recording would be. So really, truly, I will never hear myself sing. Mm. And there are some days that feels great, <laughs> <laughs> but it's yes. also this odd thing that this very personal expression of who I am is something that will always remain unfamiliar to me. Right. You know, we, we, that's come up a couple of times, you know, mentioned that singing is personal. And I think that's also what keeps people like myself from doing it. You know, I, um, I grew up in a church that had a pretty dynamic choir and a youth group. And the youth was invited to sing with the adult choir for Christmas. We weren't required. We were invited. And I think there, there must've been, I don't know, at least a dozen of us, maybe, maybe close to like somewhere between 12 and 20. And, um, <laughs> there was one Christmas when I was in eighth grade that all but one youth sang in the choir that year. And guess who's the one who didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's, I always thought about that when I was directing a church choir, like 10 years later, <laughs> it's like, I wonder how many of them were directing a church choir. It's just kind of funny how things turn up. But I know my thought at the time was I was very shy mm -hmm. and I was very sensitive about being judged about anything. It's like I was okay with piano because I had eight, eight years of study by then. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I didn't want to judge my voice. My mom was always saying, David, you should sing, you should sing. And, and I think I, I relate. I think a lot of kids, I, I'm always envious when I see, you know, kids just start singing along when I'm demonstrating, you know, just have no self-consciousness at all, but it is a personal thing. And I'm sure, you, uh, I, I mean, you, you teach voice and I'm sure you don't have as much of this because people are coming to you for voice lessons, but do you still have any shy students you have to coax? Oh my goodness, all the time. <laughs> nice. And I think I, I have, I get a lot of students that are shy and mm. a, a lot of the first couple of weeks is just trying to get volume yeah. out of them through different ways. Some of that is a technique thing for some people. It's just getting used to hearing the sound of their in instrument. Mm -hmm. one, of, one of my favorite voice lessons I've ever had ever was a 13 year old boy who was the captain of the lacrosse team. And I feel like this is a very common story. I think a chorus or theater teacher cornered him in the hallway and said, congratulations, you're the lead in the school play now. <laughs> and so nice. he was cast a beast in Beauty and the Beast. Mm. Boy had never sung a note in his life. He didn't have a musical family. He was really into sports. And so his parents talked to his best friend who happened to be a voice student of mine and said, okay, let's send him to Katie for lessons. And it was the coolest thing because we sat down to warm up. He had never heard his own singing voice before ever. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of annoying. It was a really good one. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's got a great voice. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting to talk about the approachability of certain instruments. Mm-hmm. And some of the misconceptions about voice in either direction, because certain instruments, I think, are more approachable than others. 
Yeah. Um, I think most people go into an instrument thinking, I need to learn how to play this. And some yeah. people are self-taught. I think the majority of people for most instruments work with a teacher, but you can sit down at a piano, come up with combinations of keys that work mm-hmm. and you've kind of sort of played the piano. Awesome. Yeah. To get far beyond that, most people have instruction, whether that's a teacher or YouTube. Other yeah. instruments, you feel less inclined to sit down with and play them. Mm-hmm. Um, the voice, we can all sit down and play. Yes. And we do. We sing along in the car to different songs or everybody has to sing happy birthday to their coworker at work. Everyone, for the most part, has used their voice. But the the need for technique. Yes. And how to correctly use your voice. Or I'm not even going to say correctly. I'm going to say how to healthily use your voice. Right. But Um, some people just have an ear for certain technique and they walk in knowing it. But other people think, I don't know how to sing. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are people more that we were blessed with being better singers than others, but some people struggle matching pitch. Mm-hmm. And if they get assistance and practice with that, they learn how to match pitch. Those right. are things that can be learned. And your potential is kind of based on what are the bad habits you've picked up. Yeah. Um, maybe your own insecurities that prevent you from just going for it. And a teacher can really help with that. Yeah. And I just, you know, I want to just comment on one thing that you also said, you know, you said, uh, I, I think it's probably not exaggeration to say that at least nearly everybody sings when they're in the car and they're in the shower or some point, you know, when, when, you know, uh, there, there's a song out there I sing because I'm happy. <laughs> and, <laughs> but as soon as we, perceive that someone's listening to us sing that's where there's a big chasm of like who wants to be heard and who doesn't and um so i think you know the first skill uh for for every singer is to get comfortable with that and you know i used to we had some vocal majors in undergrad and you know some of them were very good and and i noticed that the ones that were especially good you could walk in the practice rooms and you would hear you know the vocal sirens that you know, and just all, all of these kinds of sounds going on. And I, and I know that, that there, there are some physical reasons for that, but I also suspect or wonder if it's also kind of a psychological warm up too. It's, it's to say, if I can, if I know people hearing me sound like this, it only gets better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I that's think that's weird. true at every level. That's true yeah. at the beginning. That's true with mm-hmm. advanced singers. You're always aware of how you're heard. Yeah, David, I, I don't know if you, you know this or not, but a, an important part of my story musically is that I had an absolutely debilitating performance anxiety in college. Mm. And every single time I performed end of high school into college and actually started when I first got glasses. Yeah. I didn't know in high school, I couldn't see. And then as soon as I saw the audience really for the first time, that was a different experience. I wasn't in my own little world anymore, Mm -hmm. Um, but I would run a fever. Every time I walked off stage, I'd have a 101 degree fever and it would become this adrenaline fight or flight response that really sucked the joy out of it. Um, when I was in law school, I competed in trial competitions and mock trial oral advocacy competitions, um, and felt that same kind of fight or flight response, but it wasn't as personal as singing. Mm. I could think through my arguments and they were, it was using a thought process in my mind more than a feel. Mm. 
Um, and it helped me figure out how to work through that anxiety and those fight or flight responses. And so it's, it's kind of, that's really why I started performing after I graduated and went back in that direction. It's because it was more physically bearable to me to be able to do it. Well, it's very, that's very nice. The last guest that I, that I interviewed, I shouldn't say the last, I'll probably do more with life in the pit, but the, the most recent guests that I, that I had at the end of last year talked about performance anxiety. That's a, that's a whole episode. So just to kind of steer people to my other podcasts, I don't even know what episode number that is, but it's one of the most two or three more, most recent on there. Um, but yeah, that is something that I, we should definitely come back to at some point just to, to talk about, cause it, it's interesting to hear that. I mean, it actually caused a fever. That's really neat. <laughs> I mean, neat, you know, neat in retrospect, probably not neat at the time. <laughs> it was not neat at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, I want to go over just a few other things like, you know, just again, every instrument's different. And I'm, and I'm sure I, I feel like those who play violin are like, you know, or viola or cello or any other string instrument, you know, that use a bow, they're just kind of like diction and lyrics and breathing away from being a vocalist because there's a lot of things that they can do that kind of the voice does too. But on a piano, you know, talked about like you can't manipulate the tone. It's like it's got a almost scientific rate of decay <laughs> when <laughs> when you press the note and you can't do anything with the dynamics other than repeat it at a softer or louder volume. But there's some other things that I think like one of the most critical things about developing your ear is intonation. You mentioned that word and, you know, and I heard that as a pianist, but it wasn't until I played French horn where you could play a wrong note and you could play it out of tune that I realized that that's not even a problem for a pianist. If that, if I play middle C or I, or I bring in a four-year-old, five-year-old beginner and say, Hey, play that. It's going to sound as good as I do. Um, it does the the tone if it's any different it's going to be minute uh the intonation will be identical to mine because the only way you can change it is to detune the piano or you know tune it up or tune it down there's nothing that i can do to affect the intonation but when it comes to you know maybe uh woodwinds or brass you can be sharp or flat within a point but when you're on the voice you've got the infinite space between half steps and semitones all all kinds of places your voice can choose to rest and so finding the exact pitch really takes a lot of ear training and just also self-awareness and also and back to tone there's so many tones that a voice can do and um and one of the things that i'm probably going to have like a short episode on this i, I want to encourage people to you know stop using the words good and bad, you know, for, mm -hmm. for a lot of things, you know, cause I think that when we say a singer's bad, it just says they, they don't sing in the way that we prefer, but, um, but there's bright tones, there's melatones, there's head tone, chest tone, belt. Uh, I mean, there's so many types of things where the piano really has that one, unless you get inside it and start playing around with the strings and so forth. So there's some possibilities within the whole of the instrument, but your your ear you really need to be aware of the other qualities of music and that some of instruments that are not the piano have but the voice has all of these so you know what are some basic exercises um you know just I, you know 
I feel like I'm kind of going all over the place, kind of mixed in here. We should probably also talk about something you have to do with woodwinds, brass, and the voice, and that is breathe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so maybe, I don't know if we can kind of tie all that together. Um, let's talk about breathing and just talk about when when you're first trying to make sounds and you're trying to, to explore tones, what are what are some ways that you would have us get into that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll separate that. It's really funny when you have a first voice lesson with somebody because they realize quickly you are there to make sounds. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about there not being good or bad. In fact, I would say most of the sounds we try and create mm -hmm. when we're learning to sing objectively sound like bad sounds. Yeah. We're trying to get people to play and find different spaces. So in terms of what are the steps of singing? And I'm sure every teacher um, and every curriculum has their own breakdown of this. Here, here's mine, and people can disagree with me. Um, but when I'm teaching any student, I break it down into four steps. The first part being breath. Mm -hmm. um, a, a piano is ultimately a percussion instrument. Mm -hmm. um, the voice is interesting and that it is a, a wind or breath instrument, right. but also with strings that vibrate, yeah. just like a piano has strings and is a percussion. Mm -hmm. um, so the first step is an inhalation. And there's all sorts of misnomers about this. Like th it was trendy for a while to teach breathing from your diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of moved away from that terminology because on many levels, your diaphragm is, is an involuntary muscle. Yeah, And it hyper fixates us on this middle part of our abdomen when we really want to focus on the entire abdominal cavity, particularly yeah. the low part right. and opening up and letting a nice low breath come all the way down. Yeah. Um, after you've had a good practice session singing, your core's tired. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's really an aerobic exercise far more than people give it credit for. Yeah. So I think of the first step as being the inhalation. And then as you exhale, the mm -hmm. air moves through your vocal folds. And within your vocal folds are two membranes um, that vibrate. They're your vocal mm -hmm. cords. Um, and the faster they vibrate, the higher the pitch. The slower they vibrate, the lower the pitch. They're never still, which yeah. brings back to your point of intonation. Yeah. It's, a, it's a frequency and a speed of vibration that creates each individual pitch and they're constantly moving. So you never get a fixed pitch yeah. really. Right. Um, and so if you want to have a crescendo where you want notes to grow, I tell my students, notes have two directions. They either grow or they die. Yep. <laughs> and so you can, <laughs> you can let the sound decay or you have to exponentially increase the energy and the breath underneath it so that you can maintain what we hear as the same frequency of vibration or the same pitch. Wow. I want to go over just some of the tones. Like how, how do you get people to start exploring? I mean, do, do you, at what point do you start talking about like ch chest tone, head tone, um, you know, anything like that? Is that, does that come a little bit later? Um, I think that's really teacher specific and student specific uh -huh. because some students come in with really strong preconceived notions about what that is. Right. Um, I was my my teacher back in the day was of a we'll call it a one voice theory, right. um, which meant she really shied away from leaning into chest voice, head voice. 
And I understand the mentality of that because it can create this perception that you have different voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and that isn't necessarily true. There are just different, different frequencies resonate in different parts of your body differently. Um, opera singers commonly use the term mapping where yeah. they'll map where each note in their own instrument resonates. Now, especially in musical theater, you can take lower notes that would be associated with our chest and try to pull them up and have a lighter sound. You might yeah. have an artistic purpose for that. Just like you might take the 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 lighter higher sounds of a of a head tone and you might try and pull it down lower in your register to create a seamless line downward um you, there's a lot of play for that right um right. so i would say when we introduce those depends on the student depends on their level depends on the teacher at the end of the day you want to make sure the production is healthy yeah so you're looking at is someone, is someone breathing well? Are there physical issues? Um, singing is again, so anatomical because it's you and your body. How much tension am I using with these muscles and these muscles? Your tongue is a super strong muscle that is readily involved in singing. And so we've got to use to keep our tongue in, in some ways as neutral as possible and without a lot of tension and pulling backwards. And so we're working with students on what are some of the physical things that are happening in their own instrument that maybe are creating a sound they don't want. Right. Um, yeah, I learned, you know, most of what I learned for about the voice was attending, uh, oh gosh, uh, you know, dozens, you know, maybe probably at least maybe even a hundred voice lessons, but usually from the piano where I'm listening to other vocalists being worked on. But when I finally had a voice lesson of my own, um, I found that what I had been drawn to naturally was kind of a, a warm tone, you know, just, re, you know, I could, I can, I'm one of those warm tenors that can, well, baritone tenors that can blend in in a choral environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my teacher, you know, intentionally wanted me to sing to where it sounded not at all like that, but kind of bright and, you know, and, and really focus on my, on the actual belt, you know, and, and feel, of feeling this muscle here as I was singing and just working on that. And that was, that was very interesting. Um, you know, the, the, the two tracks you talked about, classical and, uh, you know, musical theater, I, I think it's great when you can have experience with both because they you really do get more of a variety of tones <laughs> that you can explore. Whereas if you're, you know, you're doing the art songs, you know, the like, the, I can't tell you how many Italian, French and German art songs I've played, but the 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 variety of tones is a little smaller than when you get into the different styles of theater. Like what you sang for Laurie, you know, is not what you would sing, you know, if you were singing in Annie, you know, or something like that. Um, but uh, the the other thing that I thought about, you know, you talked about kind of mapping and uh, you know, this is an exercise that I did learn a while ago and and everyone listening can try this hum if you'll hum kind of full volume and put your hands on your head you'll feel the vibration it's a physical place Mm -hmm. but if you don't hum loud enough you won't really feel it you know so it kind of teaches you what what kind of energy do you need to get the the resonance and what they call the mask you know the head area and um and also you know when you talk about head tone i was told to actually think of i don't know if it really does but the sound going out the top of my head you know just kind of coming up here um 
Yeah, that's, that's one of the funny things about voice. We come yeah. up with a million different visualizations. Yes. <laughs> because you can't see your instrument. You right. can feel it. If you put your, um, when I'm when I'm introducing the, the vibration of the vocal folds, I'll tell students to put their hands on their throats and go, ah, ah. And mm -hmm. they'll feel that lurch in their larynx and they have that physical sensation under their hand of what their instrument is and where it is. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, we want there to be a, it's called a healthier balanced onset. When you have the start of the sound, you want the chords to vibrate against each other gently and not have too much space apart. Because when you breathe in and have that inhalation or inspiration, your vocal folds separate so that air can go in and down. Right. So when you breathe in, mm -hmm. air comes through your vocal folds and they have to separate for air to make it all the way down into your lungs. And then they close again for the air to come back out and vibrate and pass through them, or mm -hmm. the, the air is going to pass through them and your folds are gonna vibrate. And you want them to vibrate against themselves gently. Mm -hmm. um, we can make sounds like, uh, uh, uh. That's our vocal folds popping against themselves. Or we can have breathier sounds. Oh. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that aspirate sound with air passing through, are your vocal folds not fully closed? Yeah. Those are the things we can't see. Mm -hmm. Those are just the things that we feel and experience and then hear in the sound of our own voice. Um, and it's really interesting as a voice teacher that you're listening. Yeah. You're watching the student to see what visual cues you can get, but you're using your ear a lot to interpret the sound into what technical choices they're making and how you're going to address them. Right. I'll see just some other things that I thought about, you know, that you can explore with the voice, you know, at some point, you know, one of the things <laughs> this always makes me laugh when I think about it, because one of the things you can't do on the piano that you can do with other instruments, including voice is vibrato, but that hasn't stopped some of my, students from trying i had this one girl that when she would play she would just kind of do this with her finger just kind of wiggle it back and forth the same way a violinist would you know on the <laughs> on the board and i and, and i didn't have the heart to tell her that actually isn't working <laughs> good try um i've seen people do vibrato in a lot of ways i actually i i know someone um who is music musical theater only and but you've probably seen this before that the only way they do vibrato is by changing the shape of their mouth like like woo, 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 you know i understand that a lot of vocal teachers you know that's not one of the first things they want to talk about you know that's no. kind of something and i would even call it one of the last things right um my teacher would say that vibrato is the reward of good technique right um, and so we're not, it's not an aim that we're having. Yeah. So, so David, maybe this is something that's, I won't say unique to voice, right. but slightly unique to voice in that you have voice teachers and vocal coaches mm -hmm. and not to say they can't overlap, um, right. but they can be different terms in what they're trying to address. Right. We want voice teachers are trying to create, help you create and learn healthy technique. Right. Um, vocal coaches when I'm doing a coaching or an audition coaching, it's geared toward artistic choices, stylistic choices, 
um, how, how you're popping those consonants, what are the motivations of what you're singing? Um, can we change some of the vowels there? You know, it'd be really nice if you could stray tone before you opened up to that vibrato at the end of that note. Can you hold off? Can you just kind of hold off before opening up the vibrato or no, no, no. I want you to hit that note with full on vibrato from the onset. Those are coaching things that we talk about. How you physically do them and accomplish those things is the point of vocal technique and voice lessons with the teacher. Yes. And as a longtime music director, I have always said, at most, I'm a vocal coach. I cannot tell you how to, uh, other than maybe a few basic things with the breathing, I really can't tell you. So it's like, I I can I can urge you on these things, but you really need voice lessons you know, mm-hmm. for, for that to come off. Um, I think we'll go ahead and just kind of transition to this. You know, we've talked about the, you know, the importance of singing and how there's a lot involved. And, you know, I think, you know, everybody should at some point, even if it's just occasionally should try some voice lessons, but that's just to have, just to have the opportunity to exercise singing. That's not the only place. Uh, we, we happen to live in an area uh, with an abundance of community musical theater. And like you, mm-hmm. you can get cast in a show and where you'll get a singing role. It may not be a lead role, even if you're beginning singer you can get that on any level and as you improve you you know you pro- especially with add some acting you improve your chance of getting some bigger roles um but but also community chorus you know what are some play and uh, you know if you're part of a church that has a choir which you know that it's not as many as it used to be <laughs> most people tell you but what are some opportunities that you found that people enjoy just getting the opportunity to sing. Yeah, David, I think you named a lot of them. There, there are certainly mm-hmm. community theaters if musical theater is, is your bend. Mm-hmm. Um, but locally, there's there's tons of local choruses and you can just Google chorus and not all of them are auditioned. Yeah. Um, some of them are, are welcome to anyone. And so there isn't the stress and anxiety of needing to prepare an audition piece. Um, yeah. If you feel confident, there are plenty that are auditioned. Yeah. Um, I would say there's tons and tons of music schools yes. that offer. I, I like to teach beginning students in a group class right? because I think we, we learn quicker by hearing other people because right. I probably am saying the same things to every student. Right. And you understand what I'm asking you to do a little bit better when the person next to you isn't doing it. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, church, churches, there's tons of church music programs. Um, and so if, if you're, if your bent is more secular, if it's more sacred, there, there's yeah. lots and lots of opportunities to sing. And I would encourage anyone that's interested in learning more about singing is, is to find one where you feel like you're being taught, right. where instead of being, having music thrown at you, ready, set, go, that's a great right. thing. But there's also a lot of settings where somebody is going to teach you yeah. and give you the chorus, those tools to improve. Yes. I'll say if you can get a really good choral director, that can be almost a, vo- a voice lesson in itself. There's so many things that I, that I picked up from just a really brilliant uh, director we had in college. And, and that was just for me being the composer, listening in to a piece I'd written that was being rehearsed, you know, and it's just quite amazing. And then I did get to sing in a small group, uh, you know, so I have the blessing or the curse of what people call perfect pitch. And uh, we had a festival 
that featured some 12 tone pieces and and <laughs> um so there were four bona fide vocalists to sing but every one of them had someone like me standing next to them to feed them the note <laughs> to kind of be the security blanket to hear those hear those David, notes, I'll tell so. you what in a vocal setting perfect pitch is not a blessing <laughs> <laughs> no actually I felt called out the other day there's a there's a piano teacher that was giving a workshop and she was talking about practice and she said those who have a really good ear or perfect pitch um goes well, that can be a problem because they discover early on that they can hear something and play it and then they can memorize it really quickly and not have to develop the reading skills and i was like boy that was me <laughs> that was oh, so yeah. me <laughs> i got to college and my sight reading was so poor and and it and i never really thought about it. It's just, I used my ear as a crutch for so long. So. Oh, and vocalists are notoriously yeah. bad at musicianship. Mm -hmm. So let me, the, I, I would like to take a second to, to give a path If people are, are listening to this and thinking, mm -hmm. you know, my, my child or my spouse or whomever it is, or my friend really wants to sing. What yeah. should they do? Yeah. Um, I would say it's really important to work on your music reading, even as a vocalist. Yeah. Um, I think that's something over overlooked and something I really, I, because I was guilty as charged, I walked into college mm -hmm. not reading music well at all because yeah. I was a singer and it really wasn't pushed. I, I didn't have, I didn't sing in a chorus a whole lot growing up where that was reinforced. Mm -hmm. um, but I would also say, and this may be controversial and unpopular. We'll see if I get comments oh, for fine. this. We love that. <laughs> I would say be wary if you're trying to develop your voice of learning all of your technique from a chorus. Hmm. Um, because there's a lot of wonderful things you can learn, particularly about breath um, and, and resonance and support, et cetera. But choir directors are trying to create a group sound. Right. And they are coaching each part toward a group community uniform sound. And so they are not listening to each individual singer to figure out how, how is the sound being produced? So it, it, they may or may not be giving the right note for each individual voice on how they, they correct the problem. And I find with my young ones, with my grownups all across the board, half the time they came into lessons because they said, you know, I was singing in, in chorus, whether that's at church or at school, and it was just hurting. Mm -hmm. And I felt like what I was being asked to do made it hurt worse. Yeah. And I didn't know how to fix that. And so I would just encourage anyone who who is singing and finding themselves in a place where this hurts or this is uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel like I'm straining or I'm hoarse by the time I'm done. Go, go talk to a teacher if you can, or go talk to your director and mm -hmm. communicate what's happening. So maybe they have an opportunity to listen to you individually, individually yeah. and give you, give you specific feedback that's helpful to you. Yeah. And kind of, kind of to, I guess, you know, bring this back to where we started, you know, the, the voice is personal. It's the most personal of instruments, which is one of the reasons why it can also, besides all the things we, we did, we know we talk about being expressive in, in music. I'm, every instrumentalist talks about being more expressive, but the, the voice that gets you there quicker. And that's why I think a lot of piano teachers are having students sing. It's like it not only teaches them about tone, but it teaches, it gets the emotion of the music 
in them. But because singing is personal, instruction needs to be personal. It's like you go to YouTube and you can watch videos about singing, but that 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 is kind of a crapshoot to everyone you know, watching, <laughs> it's not to you personally. And so you need, you know, probably just about more than any ins instrument I could think of, you need that personal instruction. So this is going to be a good segue. Um, love it when this happens. How can people, uh, you know, whether, I don't even know if you have any openings or waiting lists, but how can people reach out to you for vocal instruction? Um, you can Google me. I teach privately at home, um, but I mainly teach through the Community Music School at UNCSA. And the Community Music School was historically a feeder program and to uh, School of the Arts, but right. it's it's really open to absolutely anybody. Um, but, th but there are a lot of really great teachers out there. When you're looking for a voice teacher, do look for training. Yeah. Um, even no matter what type of, of voice or what type of music you're looking to train in because mm -hmm. some people go for classical some people want to sing musical theater I have students that sing folk music and sing pop music and mm -hmm. they want to be on American Idol and that's completely that's completely fine the technique yeah. is is basically universal there are just ways we tweak it and stylistic things um, right. particularly like musical theater uses really horizontal vowels whereas classical we're focusing on super tall vowels right. um so those are stylistic things. The technique is the same, right? But I would I would encourage everyone to to Google voice teachers in the area. You can always ask chorus teachers for recommendations um, if you're looking for young students. Um, have have a trial lesson. Yeah, there is you you are not locked into the first voice teacher you call or meet with. Yeah. And I I, I want to say that five times over <laughs> and over again, singing is personal. Yeah. And I think your voice teacher is even more personal. Yeah, It's got to be the right fit mm -hmm. for you. And it's completely fine if you start working with a teacher and you're like this, the communication style just isn't there and their energy doesn't right. vibe with mine. That's right. fine. And the teacher actually probably knows that too. <laughs> and it's, it's okay with with you maybe saying this isn't the right fit what what's going to be a better fit for me that's okay great is there anything that you wanted to talk about that i haven't gone over we can shelve it for well, another i feel time. like you asked me earlier for warm-up things for for normal people mm -hmm. how is your voice relevant and how do you take care of your voice right even if you're not a singer Right. Um, let me go back to my group class where we talked about recording our voicemail. Okay. So especially during the pandemic, um, I would have people tell me I'm on Zoom all the time and my voice is really tired by the end of the day or I'm on the phone at work and my voice is really fatigued. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because my response to that is the exact same way I would start any voice lesson. And that's with uh, a, a warm up. So I start every lesson with stretches because our muscles play a big role in how we sing. So I'll start, I'll tell people, and David, it, you're going to have to do this with me. Okay. For your listeners All at right. home. So I tell okay. them to do a really exaggerated chew. Like there's okay. there's toffee in their mouth. So chewing up and down mm -hmm. and back and forth. <laughs> With the point being, and David is, is demonstrating this as I say it, <laughs> the point being to stretch out these muscles in your mm -hmm. cheeks, your masseters, because they get really tight during the day. Mm. So we chew and then we'd swirl our tongue around. This tongue is a super, super strong muscle mm -hmm. and we hold a lot of tension from our day in it. So I would tell people to swirl your tongue 
in circles around your mouth. Go the other way. You're the best barometer on when it's getting loose. Mm -hmm. And then I like to take my tongue, tuck it behind the tip of my tongue behind my bottom teeth and stick it out. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so take the tip of your tongue, find uh -huh. your bottom teeth, drop mm -hmm. your jaw a little bit, and then let the center of your tongue stick out. And oh. what that's doing is creating a really great wow. stretch toward the back of your back of your tongue you can also mm. just stick out your tongue too yeah and let it chill there for a while mm -hmm. and a good long while can actually be a great thing the important oh. thing is that breathe through all of these mm -hmm. because we release tension on an exhale right so mm -hmm. as you were doing all of these stretches take a nice breath in and then exhale on the stretch and that mm -hmm. loosens the muscles so the next thing I would do is encourage people to find a nice hum. Mm. Mm. And we want the hum to have a nice resonance. David, you, you mm. had talked about a teacher putting right. their hands on their face. And I tell right. my students, yeah, put your, put your fingers on the bridge of your nose, have some quality time with yourself <laughs> and hum so that you feel the vibrations mm. and all of those sinus cavities. Mm. 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 And what we don't want to feel is a, a breathiness where it's, mm, and there's all that separation. We don't want the other extreme either, where it feels really abrasive in our throat. Mm. Mm -hmm. I have students do that all the time. Mm. Right. We want to find the nice resonance. And mm -hmm. then we want to let our tongue move and be engaged when we're talking. Students, grownups, we are lazy speakers. Yeah. So I, I make fun of my students for this, but we do it all the time. I'll say, how you doing? They go, I'm fine. <laughs> how was your day? It was good. <laughs> There's a couple problems with this. Right. Number one, I can't hear you. Number two, it's super tiring on your voice. So what they need to do is they need to take a deeper breath. Yeah. So feel like you're breathing in, the air is going all the way down to your lower abdomen or your belly. And then let that air carry the sound all the way through the entire time that you're talking mm. and don't let it fall off at the end and say, hi, my name is Katie and get that fry uh, at the yeah. end. Grownups do this awful on mm -hmm. the phone, on Zoom, just talking to each other at lunch. We're telling a long story and all of a sudden our words fall off at the end. Yep. That is what creates so much fatigue in your voice. So if you do that, we all do it, right. stretch, breathe, find this resonance, mm. let mm -hmm. the air carry what you're saying all the way to the end of the phrase. And don't be afraid to let your articulators, your lips, your teeth. And this is where I'll go ahead and interject. Uh, that got interrupted due to a an outage. <laughs> the internet went out right at that time. So... We were not able to continue that portion of it, but we were able to resume the conversation. So here's the rest of my conversation with Katie. Just to verify, you you live in Winston-Salem, you know, or you're, you're teaching Winston-Salem. I don't know if you live here or not, but. <laughs> okay. So if people want to get in touch, uh, touch with you, that's Winston-Salem. That's where you can find the community school, uh, North Carolina School of the Arts for an in-person lesson. Um, but you, it sounds like you also do virtual as well. Um, so anyways, this is a, obviously an important topic that, uh, that that I know in this podcast we'll want to revisit multiple times. Uh, 
but we had to get started, especially for those who have, I think everyone has sang before, but not everyone has explored the technique and you've kind of helped us get started. So, you know, thank you so much for taking time to just introduce us to the instrument of the voice. Yeah, absolutely, David. And I, if I could end on any note, this isn't even voice specific. I would always encourage people reach out to a teacher if you want to learn more mm -hmm. and don't be afraid to reach out to a teacher or feel like you need to come in as your best self to start lessons. There is no, I don't think there's anyone with a more kind, loving ear than a music teacher. Yeah. We to celebrate your incremental improvements probably far more than you will. Right. <laughs> Um, so, so we, we're, we're not listening with, with judgment, um, or criticism. We're, we're constantly listening with an ear of, oh my goodness, how can I develop this instrument? How can I help them find joy in making music? Right. And that's a safe space. That's a really safe space. Right. And if you do find a teacher that you perceive is doing that, that's why shop around and find someone yeah, else. Yeah, you don't feel like it's a safe space. Keep shopping. Keep looking. Right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a joy to have this conversation and, and, and worth the wait. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm so happy this actually worked out. And that brings us to the end of episode 14. I'm so thankful for Katie for joining me and thankful for you for listening or for watching on YouTube. Again, wherever you're finding this, uh, I hope you're already subscribed and following. Please do that if you're not and that you've um, liked or reviewed or whatever it asks you to do. All of these things are, are not just to make me feel better, but it, it does feed the algorithm, increases the number of people who can find this. And also one other thing is, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, you think this is valuable for someone else, you know, please share it. Uh, this isn't just yet another way to reach out and allow this podcast to just continue to grow each and every week. I just want to remind you, as always, if you have a private studio of any kind, maybe a voice studio, uh, but even if it's not music related, you there may be some benefit to checking out the free trial that you can get with the link in my show notes for Fonz, which is an app that will help you with your scheduling and with your billing and just all the admin work that helps you have more time to do the things that truly matter that only you can do. Again, that's it for episode 14. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back with you next week.